0: you gotta write a book." I said, John, why do I need a book? He said, you're in Houston, and if you sit down in, so, in front of some crusty sales manager, they're going to say, what makes you think you can teach me anything about selling? And he said, what you do is you calmly bring out your book, and you set it down in front of him, and you tap it, and you say, because I wrote the book.
1: Welcome to Forward with NACI, inspiring entrepreneurial action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs entrepreneurial leaders and the communities that support us we hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration inspires you to take action and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together
2: Welcome to this episode of Forward with NACI. I'm Rebecca Corbin, President and CEO of the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship. So we have a number of special guests this month, and I'm I'm really excited for the visitor that we have in today's studio, uh, I met a uh, Robert uh DeRoot, who goes by the name of Bob um, at a Carrie Chamber event uh with his wife. And he just has such a fascinating story to tell. So I'm gonna begin the episode with Bob inviting you just to um, share a little bit about yourself. I there's so much to your background, but maybe start with what brought you into the career that you have today.
0: Whoa, that's that's an awful lot of information, no. But um, Back in the day, I after I graduated high school, I went into the Coast Guard, and that got my love of the ICW, the Intercoastal Waterway, going. Fast forward, past college, uh, went, to, went to the Coast Guard in, in order to help uh, pay the bills to go to college. Fast forward um, to 2009, and my wife and I set out on an adventure of the lifetime. We uh, bought a big boat and uh, circumnavigated the Eastern United States by water. It's called the Great Loop. So that's a little bit of an adventure. Back in the school days, uh, my background's in psychology, school psychologist, uh, doctorate in clinical hypnotherapy, uh, been trained in a lot of different esoteric um, types of skills, uh, just exploring life. Bringing up to today, I'm pretty much a serial entrepreneur. In order to help support myself through college, I start a business run the business, sell the business, enjoy the summer, go off and do something else. I was vice president of the student body, and we got paid for that. And then I became an assistant instructor of psychology at Texas State University, and I got paid for that. From there, I became an associate school psychologist. And then over to MHMRA uh, in Houston, Mental Health Mental Retardation Authority for Harris County, uh, Houston, Texas. And my last clinic was uh, supervising the forensic clinic. We did the expert witness testimony in the court system on behalf of the kids um, and behalf of the state. So from there, I got a little burnout, as you can imagine, and I went out and got a job where I get paid for smiling. I went into sales. I figured out the difference between uh, why some sales techniques worked in some situations and didn't in others. I wrote a book called Psychology for, Successful S- for Selling, and the rest is history. That book took off. We built a company, um, did a lot of presentations, uh, did a lot of diagnostics, grew a fairly large company, had 25 employees, and then we decided we wanted to go on this trip on the loop. So we had to convert everything to web-based, and that's where we are today.
2: And that's where the journey is, and I, I love that theme that we're talking about, exploration, because... Your background is intriguing, um, you know. Thinking about psychology, and I know a lot of successful business people. Um, in fact, we have our vice president of strategic engagement has um, a degree in, in psychology and went on to really look at um, education and business as uh, his is focus, but. A lot of the work we do here at NACI focuses on entrepreneurial mindset, which sometimes people think about that in terms of a growth mindset, You know, uh, characteristics of being able to pivot. A lot of the things that really, Bob, you mentioned about in your background, you, you didn't get stuck into one career path. Yeah, you were constantly reinventing uh, yourself. So maybe share with us a little bit about Um, maybe the psychology even of your own mind. Um, How did you get yourself kind of geared up to know that you were going to be on sort of an unusual path? I'm, I'm thinking of our guest that we had earlier in the month. She's talking a lot about resiliency as a business owner and Things don't always go perfectly. And I imagine if you set sail around uh, <laughs> these waterways, you you encounter uh, challenges. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you um, sort of think about mindset yourself on the journey that you've been on. And maybe give us a couple examples of what happened along your, your journey in the water and how you had to kind of pivot and apply some of those things.
0: Going and doing cruising the Great Loop, you really have a lot of unexpected things happen. But I'll go all the way back to when my dad said, Bob, if you're going to make any money, you got to be in business for yourself. You've got to be an entrepreneur. And I've got six brothers and a sister, and they're all entrepreneurs. The book that he insisted we all become very familiar with was called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And you read it. We've read it. I've read it about 10 times. More presidents of the United States claim that is their book, rock solid book, that they re- return to every time they need a little inspiration. But Napoleon Hill said something very important to me. He said, when goal setting, don't worry about not having all the resources you need. Once you're clear on what you want, they'll they'll present themselves as you need it along the journey. Well, when we're out on the Great Loop. There's no way to plan for everything you need. You get as prepared as you can, but there are always surprises that come up. So in business, the same thing. What I learned in business was you have to differentiate yourself. You really, really, really have to do the research. You have to take a look at your competitors and say, okay, so where are they strong? Where are my competitors strong? Because that's where you're going to get your objections from. So you have to be able to neutralize those. Where are they weak where you have strengths, where your customers have needs? Those become your unique and distinctive selling points. Those are the ones you really need to hone in on. Those are the ones where you take and you do a little research project. You know, if I get on LinkedIn and they've got the survey forms there, you can ask a new question every day. Ask questions that are symptoms of why somebody would need what you have to sell. Within, oh, a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, you go into and keep asking the questions, you've got yourself a nice little research study. Next step is to go out and start presenting that information. Know the diagnostics of what it takes to discover why somebody needs you. You're going to run into all sorts of landmines along the way, but that's okay. If you know your stuff, you'll be just be able to sidestep that, go on, pick yourself up, keep going. The one thing I would recommend to every single entrepreneur out there in this differentiation business is to write a book, write a book. It doesn't have to be a big book. 120 pages is what you need on a six by nine. That gives you a spine because you have to have a spine. Uh, you can go to Ingram and and it doesn't cost you anything. And all of a sudden, bang, you've got a print on demand book that gets you in the Ingram catalog. And you want to be in the Ingram catalog because every bookstore in the world orders books, through the Ingram catalog. So it doesn't take a lot. You take your survey, you take what you're going to be teaching people or consulting on or providing, whatever that is, whether it's a retail pet store or whether it's a consulting service, doesn't matter. You need the same kind of credit.
2: I love that, Bob. And I I want people to really hear that. Um, And I'm going to build on what you said about writing a book, because I know you've written some and I have too with, with other people. And I think that in a, in a, of itself is an entrepreneurial exercise because it's hard. You know, some people, oh, I want to write the great American novel and, you know, they get stuck. You get writer's block. You know, you think you know what you're going to say and you got lots of words and you have to go back and, and redo it. But that sense of accomplishment of, of actually finishing it and kind of owning it, which is really a lot of the work that uh, many of us in higher education do, whether It's like with NACI, where we're trying to empower faculty and leaders, you know, to not only have the students believe in themselves, but for you to believe in yourself so that it's part of your brand. It's part of your differentiation because, you know, if you ask in a room, I was in a a conference recently that we held out in Nashville and one person asked, because we had an author's corner, how many people in this room, there are 440 people there would like to write a book? I I guess 80% of the room raised their hand. And then the second question was, how many of you have actually written a book? And then all these hands go down. So I, I'm really happy that you pointed that out. And, and even not only writing books, but going back to books. Um, you mentioned Napoleon Hill's book. I have read Good to Great countless times. I still have it on my shelf because I, I come back and I look at that because it just resonated with me. It was easy to remember. And I think a lot of us are good. We're, we are good at our jobs. We're good at serving our community. but how can we kind of, you know, broach the divide and, and become really great, be, become really, really knowledgeable, great people. So I'm going to throw that question to you, Bob, because you've had so many life experiences. How, how do you think, how does one, you know, kind of move from the good space to the great space?
0: That is a very good question. I think the, for me, it's I'm somewhat of a perfectionist perfectionist in some areas. um, But I believe that if you just start doing, just get out and doing, it's like writing the book. Don't have time to write the book. Who's got time to write the book? My wife and I wrote our books at the same time in 1987. And we did that, the first book, Uh, Psychology for Successful Selling, and hers was critical care nursing skills. And she worked, you know, the the 770 shifts. And and, uh, we had 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And you take those 10 minutes and those 15 minutes and you become productive. You go good to great when you do the most productive thing possible every moment of the day. Do the most productive thing possible every moment of the day. Now, that'll drive you crazy, too, for a while. You do have to have some downtime. (laughs) But for me, every 10, 15 minutes, I'd be waiting for a customer. I'd have my notepad there, and I'd be jotting my notes. I would be taking um, checklists that I've written before to help me do something, and I would be incorporating that into the book. So for me, that goal was get that book that changes who I am in front of my audience. My mentor, John Wolfe, wrote a book, Sell Like an Ace and Live Like a King. And he said, Bob, you gotta write a book. I said, John, why do I need a book? He said, you're in Houston. And if you sit down in, in front of some crusty sales manager, they're gonna say, what makes you think you can teach me anything about selling? And he said, what you do is you calmly bring out your book and you set it down in front of him and you tap it and you say, because I wrote the book. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you literally wrote the book. I I love that. I, and and you own it, and you kind of own the space, and not sort of a boastful, arrogant way, but in a in an authentic way. Um, and I I think one of the things to build on what you were talking about too, that I think is important, is for each of us to know ourselves, and 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 you know even sort of your 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 biological the way that you um process information when you're the best in sort of thinking through solutions and I know for me personally a lot of times that time is early in the morning that's where my insight comes to me so I always leave some paper right on my bedside so that if I'm grappling with something it could be like a tremendous opportunity like I had somebody invite me to go to Dubai but I had to go in January and I know I have other things I have to do and I was kind of struggling with it. And I thought, oh, maybe this is just like a once in a lifetime opportunity, but I'm not sure. Woke up this morning and I thought, I don't have to go in January of 2024. What if I go in January of 2025? Then it gives me 15 months yes. to do that. I could never have come up with that solution last night at 10 o'clock when I'm finishing up, you know, getting everything ready for the next day. So tell me a little bit, because I imagine uh, going on your your travels uh, through the water, how do you advise people, maybe um, tapping into your um, psychology background, how do you get people to better understand themselves and, and when can they be the most productive? Because I'm imagining not everybody is like you, can work 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here.
0: Me. I'm like you, I have my tablets, and um, there, there's one right next to my bed, and it's something that most people have learned very early on, if you pose yourself the question before you go to sleep, then just forget about it. In your sleep, the results, the answer will come to you at some time, two o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, or just as you wake up, write it down. That seems to be the biggest hang up most people have is that, well, I don't want a tablet next to my bed. Do it. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be problem solving and dealing with a lot of different issues, the thing that makes the difference is to do this. The second thing I would really strongly recommend people learn how to do is to meditate. Meditating, taking 15 minutes and just do some deep breathing exercises. Uh, You don't have to learn any formal meditation system, but if you can just close your eyes for 15 minutes and just imagine and visualize your day, that will help you be at a top of the game kind of mental uh, status as you begin your game, as you begin the day. But that taking that deep breath and getting things ready uh, makes all the difference in the world. Just a deep in and then out and then focus on what you want. Imagine what you want and find the supporting evidence of what you want and then go after it. Everything else, the resources you need will come out of the woodwork. Not a problem. But for me, that is probably the most important thing uh, any entrepreneur can learn to do. Because I got to tell you, by the end of the day, it's cocktail hour and it's just too much for too many people and they're too frazzed and they work till 10 o'clock in the evening and they're missing out one of the most important thing that an entrepreneur has to do and that is to be ahead of the mental game.
2: You don't want to miss out on enjoying your life, right? And I think about that, you know, my children are now young adults and I, I think about when they were little and I, I just wanted to do everything right and, and I was like, oh, I didn't want to miss one beat and I have really no regrets in life, but if I have one tiny one, I would have enjoyed every moment and I wouldn't have worried about all of the things. It's basically everything that you said, (laughs) if you could have advised me, you know, 22, 23 years ago. But again, um, part of the, the message of our podcast, which has a global audience, Is really to encourage people to think differently and and sort of plan, but leave space for delight, for surprise, for serendipity. So I have one last question for you, Bob, before you go is somehow or another, you ended up in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, You talked about Houston. You talked about going all over the world. How did you end up here? What what led you to this community, this beautiful community that we love?
0: We lived in Houston, and then we made a list of criteria being boaters. And said, where is it we want to live next? And it's not permanent, but where do we want to go next? And next for us was, well, we want the warmth. We like the water. We want, so we made a list of criteria, just like when we buy our boats. We just make a list of criteria. What is it you can't live without? That's the deal killers. And what do you can negotiate on? And what can we add later? So we did that. We wound up in Cape Coral, Florida. Now, that's important in 2015 because 2009, Hurricane Ike set our boat up in the parking lot and had to rebuild it before we go on the loop. In 2017, we had Hurricane uh, Irma, and then in 2019, we had, or 2020, we had Hurricane Ian. On the loop, we had Hurricane Ida that we lived through on anchor. Okay, this is building now. We've been in the eyes of four eye storms named... Uh, Beginning with I, we've been through the eye of seven hurricanes, and we just said, okay, that's enough. That's enough. A hurricane, let's say a tornado EF4, has 150 mile an hour winds for three seconds. That's an EF4 tornado. We sat in our condo tower with 155 mile an hour winds for three hours in the eye wall, pushing against us, watched the boats come up, turn over in the marina. We said, okay, let's go inland. So we made another list of criteria of where we're going to go. This is Kimba's decade where she gets the, she loved the four seasons. So we're going to get four seasons here of dusting of snow. We wanted a walkable community. So we live downtown. We've got 15 restaurants within six blocks of where we live. So all of this kind of high energy area that we live in. And here's, here's what, that's one of some of the reasons why we chose Cary.
2: That is fantastic and One of the things I would just add on to that is the Cary Chamber of Commerce. I've just been so delighted um, to, you know, benefit um, as as a as an organizational leader, but also as a community member uh, from the good work that they do. And that's how I met you, and I met your your wonderful wife. So I want to thank you for spending the time with us today. I'm going to encourage people to get online and connect with you on LinkedIn. Your information will be on our um, podcast write up, and um, I just thank you for sharing your story. I can't wait to see where you go next, but um, I appreciate you and, and thank you for sharing with us this morning.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership dot